0: Hello and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Unmasked by the Marquis by Kat Sebastian. This was published in 2018 and is the first in the Regency Impostor series. It's also the first book that we're reviewing by Kat Sebastian.
1: Yes, and this series, there's three books in it now? Mm Mm-hmm. So I think we'll be reviewing the rest. So if you are enjoying this review, you can look forward to more in the future.
0: Get right into the jacket lane. The one you love. Robert Selby is determined to see his sister make an advantageous match, but he has two problems. The Selby's have no connections or money and Robert is really a housemaid named Charity Church. She's enjoyed every minute of her masquerade over the past six years, but she knows her pretence is nearing an end. Charity needs to see her beloved friend married well and then Robert Selby will disappear. Forever.
1: may not be who you think. Alistair, Marquess of Pembroke, has spent years repairing the estate ruined by his wastrel father, and nothing is more important than protecting his fortune and name. He shouldn't be so beguiled by the charming young man who shows up on his doorstep asking for favors. And he certainly shouldn't be thinking of all the disreputable things he'd like to do
0: to the impertinent scamp. But is who you need. When Charity's true nature is revealed, Alistair knows he can't marry a scandalous woman in breeches. And Charity isn't about to lace herself into a corset and play a respectable miss. Can these stubborn souls learn to sacrifice what they've always wanted for a love that is more than what they could have imagined?
1: I think the jacket overall is fine. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the only, and I've expressed this before, I don't love it when they intersperse a sentence above each paragraph when the sentence then yeah. also doesn't integrate into the paragraph. Yeah, like I. Like if you're gonna pull the one you love, it may not be who you think, but is who you need. That needs to be better integrated into the text or gotten rid of.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I agree with you. Um, but other than that, I think I think the meat of the jacket is is pretty good. It is accurate. Conflict, characters, no complaints. Yeah, so I think it's fine. Uh, As usual, we generated a random number and then based our summaries on that number. Uh, And for this episode, the number is 21. I'll start. The characters'
1: sexual identities and preferences may stray from a typical romance novel, but the manufactured angst
0: and sibling drama doesn't. <laughs> I mean, oh, Elaine. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll I read mine and then I think you'll see that we had some different approaches to this book. Uh, so here's my summary Dealing with attractive androgynous persons takes a special care for noblemen who want to avoid social scandal. Georgette Hayer gone delightfully awry. <laughs> so, in other words, I loved this book and I think Lane was more meh. That is exactly how I felt. (laughs) So, okay. Let's talk about the tropes um, and then maybe why we liked them and why we didn't. um, Or if we didn't, right? So I think the biggest trope uh, and that's evident in a book jacket as well is that The heroine is cross dressing. So she dresses as a man. She wears breeches. Yeah. And I think when we see this trope in romance
1: novels, it's often either a man, the the hero, checking out the heroine in boy's clothes and thinking, oh my God, why am I into this boy? I'm not gay. Or the man seeing the heroine in breeches, knowing her personally and being like, oh my God, there's a reason they don't let women wear pants. It's so erotic. And neither of those is the case here. One, not only is Alistair pretty openly, with himself at least, bisexual, Mm -hmm. and has no indication that Robert Selby is actually a woman named Charity Church until she reveals it, but even when he sees her in pants, it's not like an eroticized thing about
0: the female body.
1: No, it's
0: it's not an eroticized thing about the female body at all because he he thinks it's a male body and indeed it is a basically just a it's a body it's a human body in the end that he is attracted to right. Well, and even
1: after he's aware of Robert's true identity, he likes the way Robin, as they come to be known, dresses because it's so quintessentially them, right. not out of some sort of defiance of traditional gender norms.
0: Exactly. It's. I would liken it more to the trope where there is a heroine um, who has a very quirky fashion sense. Yes. which Which we see in a lot of books. And a lot of times she's doing it to deflect attention or she's doing it to, you know, whatever. But the hero comes to really appreciate it as being part of her. And so he appreciates it for that way. Um, And Obviously I'm not saying that someone's gender identity is the same as fashion, but I'm saying that the trope is more like that. Definitely. So as the, Um, the jacket makes
1: very obvious, Robert is actually Charity Church living under an assumed identity correct that is <laughs> so
0: hidden identity Ooh, assumed identity. identity yeah
1: yeah
0: uh and then we've seen the i'll do i'll do anything for my sister right we've seen it so many times we're gonna scrape together just enough money for you to have
1: a season because you are meant to be a lady and you are the most perfect thing to ever exist and whatever i have to do to make it happen
0: Mm-hmm. and that is what happens here yep yeah. <laughs> and then there there is a waltz in a garden fondle as lane has so wonderfully coined but um i know you you do but it's it is subverted here because they both they waltz and they fondle in the garden because he can't two men cannot be seen waltzing together in society well and i I also, one of the things I really
1: liked about this scene is so often in romance novels, the first time characters dance together, it is perfect. And they write together like a tide and everything about them is so perfectly attuned. And in this mm-hmm. case, they're both used to dancing the man's
0: part. Yes. So it's really awkward, but that was really adorable. I loved it, Lane. I loved it so much. I love so it. So
1: in in this case, Sorry. He's a a Marquis, obviously, and he's inherited a Marquis that, that was impoverished by his wastrel father, as the jacket says, which is something we have seen over and over. And now it's his job, as he sees it, to restore the financial solvency and respectability of the estate
0: uh, and yes. Title. And how many times have we seen this trope playing?
1: Um it is, I would say, roughly 50% of historical romance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this falls into that 50%. Um, so a lot of the issues with his marriage. Uh, okay, I, this is something I think Lane's going to talk about in detail later. But uh, in, in most cases with this trope, they fall in love with someone who's unsuitable for one reason or another. Usually it's because they're not going to help bring the reputation back to the earldom or the Marquisate or the dukedom or whatever and that is the case here but in this case he has already
1: restored the financial solvency and done a great deal to restore his reputation And so he's not specifically the, seeking a bride he's not a fortune hunter he did no. it himself already
0: right right it's really just maintaining his status in the eyes of his peers basically and proving to them that he is not his father. Yes. Which is such a trope. Yep.
1: Um, She is a sad traffic project orphan. Literally a
0: foundling. Literally a foundling. Yeah. Totally a sad tragic orphan who. Yeah. Who is who is now, you know, masquerading um, as a as a man to. But not for her own gain. So that's, I think, interesting as well.
1: She benefited from it personally, for sure, in a lot of different ways. But at this point, the fact that it's still ongoing is definitely a selfless act. Yeah. And just to to compound the tragedy of her life, she has a secret romantic past that is yeah. not a trope in romance novels, but a cautionary tale in many. Yes. Yeah. There is a library
0: hookup, guys. Uh, he's reading to her and it's real sexy. It's so sexy. Oh, my God. I loved it. I loved it so much. And then not only do we have all of the other
1: drama, but as we discussed, there's a huge class difference as well. Right. So not only is the man she is masquerading to, as a very lower, much lower social class than a Marquis. But who she really is is not even on a Marcus's radar.
0: Right. Exactly. Um. So I do want to point out because I guess this is like becoming our thing, right? <laughs> that I thought there was a really huge homage to um. Georgette Heyer. So I mentioned that in my um summary, my random number summary. Mm-hmm. And um, I just want to talk really briefly about it. So it's one of my favorite Georgette Hare novels, uh, Frederica. And in that book, what happens is Frederica shows up at her cousin's house. You would have to look at the family tree to be able to trace their connection, although technically they are related. He's a Marquis. She shows up at his door. She asks for his help to bring out her sister. And her sister is just so beautiful the incomparable now, right so at first um Alverstoke, that's his name in the the hair novel so Alverstoke is like absolutely not i don't know you from you know joe on the street i'm not going to help your sister come out um but when he meets karis he sees how beautiful she is and he thinks this is awesome my sister just asked me to throw a ball for her daughter and he didn't even want to throw a ball for her. But he's like, now what she'll have to do is she'll have to share this coming out ball with this most beautiful woman. So she'll think I'm doing her a favor. But really, she's going to be totally overshadowed by this nobody. Right? Sure. Um. So what happens in this book, Lane?
1: And pretty much that, except instead of a debutante, it's... A ball that has multiple purposes of getting rid of his own half-sister
0: and some meddling aunts. Exactly. So it's basically the same thing. Robin shows up. She says, hey, your dad was my sister's godfather. Um, And Alistair sees that Louisa is just like the most beautiful person ever. And Alistair thinks, awesome. My father's mistress just asked me to throw a ball for her. And my aunt just asked me to throw a ball for my cousin. So I'm going to throw a ball for all three of them, and they're all going to get screwed over. This is going to be awesome. So it's all for, like, this this, this point of, like, maliciousness in the marquess's party. The right? aunt
1: doesn't ask to throw for the daughter. The aunt just wants him to have a house party, and he knows the aunt will be super offended by being in the same house with his illegitimate half-sister.
0: Exactly. He's just going to teach them all a lesson. Yeah. So he's going to teach everyone a lesson for basically asking him for favors. Yep. Um, by screwing them over by having this beautiful, beautiful, nobody attend the ball. So it's basically the same exact setup. So I was reading this and I was like, wow, how is this going to play out? Well, that's, that's basically where the, the parallels end, um, for yes. now. <laughs> um, they, they pick up again later. So I'll talk about that later, but I did want to point that out because I was reading this and I was like, wow, this is, this is Frederica. Um, uh, I have gone off on other books before, <clears throat> namely with the highwaymen, um, for, for riffing on, you know, other novels. Um, in this case, I really felt like it was a point of departure and not, didn't inform the entire text. So it was an that, homage that said, I wanted to throw it out there. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. Ah, uh, all right. Uh, so Lane mentioned this before. One of the things I liked about this book is that Alistair's sexual orientation um, did not, was not a source of angst for him.
1: No. Is that, so, not at all. I, I think he's, he talks about how post his school days, he's repressed his interest in men. Yeah. Because obviously it was a huge risk in society to engage in those liaisons and because he was pretty discreet, even in his dealings with women, because his number one goal was not to cause a scandal, but he's not ashamed of his previous alliances or his, or questioning his own sexual identity.
0: Exactly. And in so many books, we talked about it already, but in so many books, the hero sees the heroine in breaches. So masquerading as a man and they're like wow i'm attracted to this person must be a woman because i've never been attracted to a man before you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and alex is just like wow that's a hot person you know i'm just <laughs> i'm attracted to this person basically he's like yeah man woman he thinks it's a man because that's that's how the robin presents himself um, but he's basically just attracted to the the human form right <laughs> yep so, I liked it. There's a
1: little manic pixie dream boy in the beginning of this. Oh, he constantly totally. compares Robin's laughter to champagne popping. Yes. Like, it's this idea of an ethereal beauty untouched by the troubles of the world.
0: Mm-hmm. And Robin is always, just always cheerful, always smiling, always ready with a joke. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yes, it's a little bit Manic Pixie Dream Girl, but it's also more that Alistair has just been so serious and so focused on respectability that I think also he's like, oh, I can let my hair down a little, you know? Yep. So, I liked it. So, um, he he there is a library kiss. So there's a library make-out. But Robin feels terrible about it because Alistair thinks – He's a man, mm-hmm. but but Robin is like, oh no, I can't, we can't take this any further because he's going to find out that I i don't have male parts. Basically, Robin thinks he's attracted to me because he thinks I'm a man. I have to come clean to him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? And I actually really liked that when he came clean, So so when Robin admits the masquerade, that Alistair is not really is like not angry that he was fooled into having kissed someone of a different gender than he thought. He is upset that he was lied to, but not about the gender identity of the person he kissed. It's for a different reason. It's for a different lie. (laughs) Right. He's upset about both
1: the lie and he thinks somehow this was a scheme to out him as a sodomite. Right. So he's afraid, he's upset that he was tricked into kissing someone of a different gender, but only in the context that he is afraid the whole point was to expose him publicly and embarrass him.
0: Exactly. And he's like, no, 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 I couldn't expose you anyway, because I'm a woman, really? And then he's like, wait mm-hmm. a minute, what happened here exactly? Um, I just, I thought this scene was really interesting. Um, And I liked the way it played out. Mm-hmm. So, I know you you didn't love some parts of it though. Yeah, I. So, so tell tell me tell us about the conflict lane. So, about halfway through the book, you
1: you think the conflict of the novel is going to be that Robert is actually Charity Church, mm-hmm. and one that they obviously. Charity and Louisa the sister that is being taken care of um are going to be exposed and somehow shamed in society and obviously you're afraid that who Robin really is will present a romantic obstacle it really doesn't and so pretty much after (sighs) Alistair and Robin make up from the fight Meg just described and decide mm-hmm. they still want to be friends. They're pretty immediately open with the fact that they're still really into each other and deeply care about one another. Yeah. And this is literally like at the 50% mark. Like the potential mm-hmm. conflict in their relationship about their feelings for each other, about the relationship they'll have is resolved really early in the text. Mm-hmm. So then after they hook up for the first time, Alistair, I'm going to. Okay. Spoilers you guys. From here on out, there's just no way for me to talk about what I didn't like about the plot without me spoiling the plot. Um so so Alistair kind of goes and thinks about okay, you know, obviously the fact that Robin has lived as a man, like it's potential for scandal, it's not the clean cut life he wanted, but he sort of makes the decision that he wants Robin anyway. Mhm. There's like five chapters where unnecessarily Catch Sebastian, like, plays with what decision he made. Mm Mm-hmm. Where Alistair's thinking things like, I hope that I can, you know, make Robin understand why this is the only honorable course of action, trying to, like, fake out the reader into thinking they have to break up or something. Right. And you know that any time the main character is keeping a secret in their own head just to, like, keep something a secret a little while longer for dramatic irony is, like, not dramatic, for dramatic suspense, is, like, one of my biggest pet peeves. Then <laughs> it's just inserted here in the middle of the text for no reason. And then the second half of the book is Alistair being like, okay, Robert, let's get married. And I did not understand why Robin was like so averse to it for like sixty billion reasons. One, mm-hmm. Robert has to die. Mm-hmm. Like the character of Robert Selby, they know it. They've known it since the beginning. Right. So the sudden opposition to like, you think just killing me off is going to fix this problem. It's like, it's not about fixing the problem. You cannot continue to be this dead guy anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then they're bo- they were both born in the legal genders that enable them to get married. So there's right. no legal obstacle to their marriage. I don't understand. Robin has no plans and no ambitions for after this masquerade is done. The protection of a marquis would be super useful i don't understand what the opposition was i i honestly think if robin hadn't had to struggle with their own gender identity and what their life would have been post this masquerade the book would have had no conflict replace the concept of struggling with gender identity with something else that has made people reluctant to join the aristocracy in other novels I'm illegitimate. I'm too socially awkward. I'm too independent and don't love the idea of marriage. And I would have thought they were both legitimate conflicts and equally uninterested to cover the plot of half of a book.
0: Yeah. And I think for me, I don't disagree with you because I have certainly read many a novel where, one of the one of the partners in a couple is like, I can't marry you because, you know, whatever reason you just said, I'm illegitimate. I don't have a dowry. I don't, you know, whatever. I I, I don't fit in with the ton. I won't help you out in social situations. I'm not a politician's wife. All sorts of different things. We've all read them. Um, so I don't disagree with you that. That we have seen this. Um, other places I also don't disagree with you that you're right the fact that Robin's gender identity is the major conflict um, is what makes this book stand out but Mm -hmm. for me I really liked that I for me one of the things that I like about romance and why I keep reading it is not because they're not you know I like I love the tropes And when someone gives me a new play or a new take on a trope, that's what I really like. And so for me, this fell into that category. So I really liked that that Kat Sebastian took the idea of gender identity and translated it into this historical setting where it it did form the basis for a conflict that we've seen a lot of times. For me, that was really cool. So I really liked that. And I think...
1: Gender identity as a conflict as compared to any of those other things we've been discussing, it's not my problem. I've liked books with those other conflicts and I've disliked books with those other conflicts. I mm-hmm. think for me the issue is where those contexts are contextualized, how they're drawn out, like what other things are happening in the book. I think I'm often very frustrated, and you and I have talked about this, when someone is like, I'm poor and broken, but I don't want to rely on a man, so no, I won't marry you. And it's like, honey, marry him. It's, that's yes, 100% I, how I felt in this book I was like all of your <laughs> fucking problems are solved by marrying him and you're claiming he's too judgmental and that in proposing he's making a decision for you but then like for a large part of that second half of the book Robin is thinking Alistair will definitely be ashamed of me and that's why I can't marry him and it's like okay now you're making decisions for him this is stupid like this is a non-conflict and you're making me read half a book about a non-conflict yeah I mean we're just going to have to agree to disagree on this one. Oh, 100%. I I, I think yeah. this is also something that historically has bothered me more than it's bothered you. Like I, I think, think so, I yeah. like the non-conflict conflicts in general less than you do. Yeah, I agree. Rand- so when Robert Fake B- died and or did die and charity took his identity, obviously there was a distant cousin who was meant to inherit.
0: Right. So the cousin shows up in the text and adds nothing. Does eventually show up, yes. And I I, I don't think, I kind of don't know why. I. Yeah.
1: Because even when the cousin shows up to force the plot along, the decision to do basically exactly what the cousin's demanding has already been made. Yeah. So I just I didn't get why that had to be thrown
0: in again. Sure.
1: So, um, other I than that, like though, said, eh.
0: Yeah other than that, yeah. Skip like the rest of my notes on what I didn't
1: like are just spoilery and more sure. different tunes sure. of the
0: same song. Okay. Um, I will say that there is another little element of Frederica that gets thrown in here that I, mm-hmm. I really liked the take on it. They were completely different. So the way it gets handled is completely different in the two books, but, um, there is an elopement scheme in this book, not between Alistair and, um, um, Robin, but between two other characters. But the way it plays out is very similar to what happens in Frederica, and okay. um, I loved it. I just, mm. I just really liked it. I, I, think it's a great homage to Frederica, so just want to mention that. I will have to read Frederica. That's what I'm taking from um, this. I think we, I think we should. I think I have mentioned it a few times. I love that. No, book. you bought <laughs> it for me for Christmas
1: or my birthday, or some, <laughs> I have it.
0: So, you see, <laughs> I've been trying to get you to read that book for a while, so. <laughs> Correct. Okay, um, is there anything offensive in this book?
1: I was not offended when reading this book at any point. I thought it handled a lot of controversial issues very well, and I don't think, I thought it handled a lot of difficult issues with, a mold, what's the word I want? I thought it was a complex look at something seldom seen in romance novels. I yes. don't think anybody was reduced. It wasn't reductive.
0: Exactly. I, I thought it was great. It, the, I, I One of the things I like the most about the book is how it valorized both Robin's and Alistair's feelings mm-hmm. uh, in a way that I really liked because a lot of times... And I know, I know you disagree with me on this one, Lane, because I read your notes. <laughs> but a lot of times in books, there's, there's the, the, the character who you know is right and the character who you know is wrong. Mm-hmm. And here, I, I didn't feel that there was a character who got more sympathy than another. But...
1: I did think Robin was presented less critically yeah. than
0: Alistair. Yeah. Um, I will mention that this book, unlike so many other historical romances, treats drugging someone with laudanum or whatever substance is gonna knock you out without their consent, was treated like the gross invasion of privacy that it is. So hands down, so so much applause for you, Kat Sebastian. Thank you. This is the first book I have ever read. Where one of the characters was drugged with laudanum and then later they were like, why did you do that? That was disgusting and it could have hurt me. Um, correct. I
1: also was glad that her being drugged was treated like a big fucking deal.
0: Mm-hmm. So I, I have bitched about this in so many other books and to see it finally handled in what I think is the right way was so wonderful. It was so great. Was this book sexy, Meg? I thought it was really sexy, Lane. <laughs> what did you think?
1: <laughs> I thought the first half was pretty sexy. Mhm. I thought the unrequited sexual tension between Robin and Alistair in the beginning was really great. Oh. I really
0: what I I love I I was gonna say I loved that part in the beginning because they both have different reasons for putting the other one off right yep like Alistair's like oh no what if he's not gay and and Robin is like oh no what if he figures out I'm a woman you know I was just it was so great I loved it so much but they were like just so attracted to each other they just couldn't. yeah no I I think
1: I always love like trying to keep our hands off of each other is actually a futile endeavor. I am generally speaking going to really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. I also liked that for all that this is a book that didn't do with the fineries of women's clothing, there was a ton of clothes born. There was a peacock blue jacket and lots of discussion of cravats. And like, I really liked all of that in the sex as well. Yes. I think I didn't like all of the angsty sex or the put my feelings aside and just enjoy the moment sex after the (laughs) conflict kind of devolved. And that was, it's not a, it's not a criticism of the sex scenes themselves. We've talked before about how like when a plot loses you, like objectively the sex was sexy at the point where they were not communicating and everyone else in the book was playing pronoun games about who they're talking about with proposals. I was rolling my eyes at the whole book. So I it kind of lost me in the sex.
0: Yeah, I don't know, Lane. I loved the I loved their hookup at the salon. I don't know if you're counting that in the sexy or the non sexy part, but I thought that was so sexy. I mean they had crackling
1: chemistry. hmm So I'm not I'm not knocking if you were into this book, you're gonna be into the sex in this book. Yeah, you
0: know, I I think you hit the nail on the head, Lane so in other words I thought this book was like really sexy and um Lane wasn't so into it after the halfway mark basically
1: yeah look I'm not I'm not hard to please that's not true (laughs) I know what I like
0: you know what you like I like
1: I, I like honest characters who are upfront and who don't relish in not making a decision. And this book is a lot of that.
0: There, there is a lot of it, but I don't know.
1: But Meg, when it's well done, is like yes, please. Whereas even when it's well done, which it is here, I'm more interested in reading characters that aren't refusing to get married for no reason.
0: Yeah. So. I don't know. I, th- I thought there was a legitimate reason here. So I think that's why I liked it. I think that's why I liked it more than you did, is that I saw the reason as being more legitimate than you did. Because there are many books where I'm like, oh, my God, just get married.
1: you know. <laughs> page two. I would like you to be married on page two.
0: Just get married now, please. Yes. <laughs> but. I I liked this book a lot. I loved the setup. I loved the ridiculous elopement and I loved the ending. So I loved it all. It was a cool concept
1: that was really well handled and it was very different in that context than anything else I'd read in a while. Yeah. But ultimately it lost me in execution and plot.
0: Yeah. Well, if anything about the book sounded interesting, I, I, I recommend that you check it out Uh, for me it was it was unique in its handling of the tropes the tropes themselves not super unique but that's something that i love so thank you guys so much for listening and if you're
1: enjoying the podcast please check us out wherever you get your information online at plot that includes goodreads instagram and facebook